Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back to Be A Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Huser. It's that time once again to unleash the warrior within you. Are you ready? Then let's get started. Hello and welcome back to this podcast. I'm so excited today. Um, we are blessed with a pair, a duo of amputees today. Um, I have Maya and Rosie, her great Dane. Welcome to the show, Maya. And Here's Rosie. Let's, welcome, let's really, Rosie. You know what's important, really. I know we got we got nap time. That's okay. I got my. You know what? I have my two Chihuahuas sitting right on either side of me, sleeping right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I've learned to take their collars off because they tend to get up, stretch and shake. And that's usually in the recording. So we should have some peace and quiet today. It looks like all of our dogs are in nap time. Welcome, Maya. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you on here. And, you know, uh, so people understand, again, this is Limb Loss, Limb Difference Awareness Month. Um, I am an above knee amputee if you're new to the show and this month, I love having people that just kind of really stand out in my mind this month, focusing on bouncing back, which, you know, metaphorically, and then those of us with running blades, we bounce a lot. Um, it's kind of fun. It's like our own little mini trampoline. Um, this story about your life is a delicate one. In my mind, it's a delicate one, although I know you've been dealing with it for years for me as an outsider. I like to be gentle about this stuff, but could you just tell us like where you're originally from, what your childhood was like, your family life, things like that, and what kind of led up to what happened? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm originally from Bosnia and I don't know if, if um, actually when I was born, it was, it was former Yugoslavia and I don't know if, uh, if your audience remembers, but um there was a it was a, a genocide in Bosnia in, in early nineties, and my family and I we were stuck in 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 a part of our town where we were from, surrounded by two armies, no food, no water, no electricity, no medicine, um, just basically trying to survive. And during that time, um, during that time, we had I don't know 10, 15 people were dead every day, injured all the time. We were just trying to figure out how to survive. And one day I was just hanging out with five of my friends in a courtyard of our building when a bomb exploded, killing all five of my friends instantly, and I was severely injured. So that's what happened to me in my um my limb loss. Uh it, it in my situation, you know, which is more extreme than than most, uh, because we didn't have any medical. Yeah. Um, help. We had a makeshift hospital. Um, they took me to that makeshift hospital, and because there was no way to fight the infection, uh, due to infection to save my life, they actually had to amputate my leg um, below the knee a couple times. You know, they try to save the knee because, as you probably know, it's really, really important. It is. Um, yeah. And um, eventually, I was um, I, I was evacuated. About a couple months later, I was evacuated um, to first Frankfurt, Germany. U.S. Army Hospital in Frankfurt, Germany for medical treatment where I had daily surgeries. And then from there, because they had established that my injuries were really too great, I had to be transferred to the United States for medical treatment. And that's how I ended up in the United States and where I am in life. So. Wow. That's okay. So how old were you when this happened? I was 16. Oh my gosh. 
Okay. So when the war started, I was 13. And when I was injured, I was 16. And during that time when, um, you know, after I was injured, I didn't speak any English at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I was in that makeshift hospital, um, probably for about two months. Um, And during that time, my father was also injured. So they, um, when the lady came to to rescue me, it was a lady from England. Her name is Sally Becker. Mm. Um, she she's just somebody who watched TV in London and was like, "Okay, I'm tired of watching stuff on the news. I'm gonna go do something about it." And she, you know, there's some there's a lot of madness in what she did, a lot of bravery, and she just basically said, "I'm gonna go there and try to help some people." And she got a permission to rescue three injured children. Um, from that area because we nobody could get in or get out so I was one of the candidates because you had to be injured enough to kind of save your life right but not too much where you're going to die on a way out and not too little where it's just the waste yeah so I was one of the candidates and what they did my mom was there because my father was injured okay my mom was there going between us sort of helping each of us so they carried me to his bed and um 20 minutes later, I had 20 minutes to to make a decision. 20 minutes later, um, my parents were unable to come with me, but I found myself going with the stranger, not knowing where I was going, when or if I would be back or anything. Oh my gosh. And it was just to set off this journey into a life that actually, interestingly enough, when I look back, I would not change one thing. I was going to ask you, but then I was like, do I ask that question? Because that's a big, I mean, I say the same thing, but again, I was, I elected to go this route and I'm grateful I, I had the strength to do it, but that's interesting that there's not many people that haven't had something life altering like this that feel like, you know, if, if you're successful and you figured out your mindset to be positive. It ends up taking you into a path of pe- meeting people, doing things you probably never thought would happen, right? You probably right. never thought about it, coming it was, to America. I never, I never, you know, I, it, it's, we're all so proud of our home and our country and, and everything. And, and I was too, I remember, you know, this, the, 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 you know, we stay there to defend our home yeah. and we did, but with the end of the with the end of the thing, like we lost everything, like my family, everything was lost um, multiple times because my city had two wars and and the two different armies came in and destroyed and, and took everything that we ever built and had in our lives. And what you realize is that out of all of it, really nothing mattered except your family and your friends and your memories that you've created. Not, like all we missed was the pictures. Nothing else really actually mattered. So it almost like this injury sort of in some weird way snapped me out of this patriotic pride of, yeah. you know, standing there and fighting for your home and for the country and for the apartment that you live in and for the yeah. house that you live in. When at the end of the day, just go somewhere where it's safe, be safe, create, you know, close friends and family around you and, and actually shift the meaning of what life is all about. Because yeah. at the end of the day, when we're all at the, at the you know, staring at, at death, most things really actually don't matter. Right. No, it's, it gives you a little different perspective, doesn't it? On, yeah. on what you've got to take with you and what you need to just let go of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so mom and dad, they stayed. Mm-hmm. Did you have siblings? 
Uh, I had a young, I still do have a younger brother. Okay. Um, he was at the time 14 and he was just at home and, and, you know, basically just trying to survive, you know, we had no food. And um, I remember, you know, when I re I reunited with my family two years later. So after I came to us two wow. years later, I was able to bring my parents and my brother here and they actually still live in Maryland Oh, good. Uh, that's where I was brought. So they live in Maryland. They live five minutes away from each other. My brother is married, oh. has two girls and all that stuff. So um, I do remember when we reunited, my mom was, you know, we, we were talking about it. We were actually talking specifically about my brother. Yes. And I said to her, you know, I need you to pay attention to him. Because yeah. everybody's sort of wrapped up around Maya because Maya got injured. Maya had over 100 surgeries. Maya's still mm -hmm. dealing with her injuries, yes. Yeah. But those are things that are so visible and everybody's sort of like, oh, you know, poor Maya, let's help her, let's help her. I have support right. everywhere. But I was like, he is going through her his own version yeah. of, 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 of issues of everything. And she said, yeah, I remember she, he was alone. My mom was with me who was injured and couldn't do anything. And my father, who was also injured, couldn't do anything. And she was going back and forth. So he was at home at, at 14. And she said, I would come home. He's sitting. She said she had a neighbor check on him. And she said the neighbor said she would go check on him. And he's just sitting in the dark at, at the apartment by himself crying. Oh, you know, and, and, and he's, he's hungry. He's, you know, you have, you have children. So, you know, I don't yeah. know if you have boys, but I do, you know, teenage boys, they uh, eat 14. He, he's, he's like, he was crying to my mom. I'm hungry. I just wanted some food, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, to have that as a parent, to hear that and to have that happen. I mean, it's just, it's just a really horrific, horrific time. Yeah. And uh, to think that, all I, all we had to do was leave prior for it to happen. And then never had that experience. It would have been kind of, kind of interesting, but I do have to say that going through it, seeing five dead people's, you know, that were instantly killed, seeing people get killed every single day, nonstop, um, <clears throat> made me appreciate and live life in the way that I never would have had that not happened. Yeah. No, I'm sure. And like we said, perspective is everything. And when you can pull yourself out of your moment right then and there and you kind of step back for a minute, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's a lot more to be grateful for than there is to be complaining about, I think. And and you're like a prime example. I mean, you just told me, I mean, in your own words, that this path, as horrific as it started, has actually been a blessing for you and your family which is wonderful. Absolutely. I was, I was going to ask, like, are they still there? Do they, but I'm glad you, you got into that. So yeah, they're, yeah, they're still here. And it's, it's, you know, my mom has a lot of, because I was on her watch when mm. I got injured and I snuck out. She didn't even know that I snuck out. She thought I was at home and, and, you know, I was 16. I was like, Hey, I'm going to go downstairs, talk to my friends and come back. And she, she thought I was there. So I snuck behind her back, literally went and bam, she heard a bomb. She started looking for me and she couldn't find me. And she looked down the window and she mm -hmm. saw me basically in a pool of blood with five dead people. Oh. And she has always blamed herself for allowing to that to happen. First of all, when you have a teenager as stubborn as me and as, as, as handful as I was, 
um, that there's nothing you can do to control it. Number one, number two, I told her, I was like, if I could do anything over again, I would do it all. Like for me, I gave up a leg and I gave up some of my mobility and have, you know, and have some, some daily struggles that I just have to deal with that most people don't. But to me, that was a worth thing to give up in order to gain so much perspective and so mm. much appreciation for life, to live the life with actual true meaning and the depth mm. and not be on this autopilot that right. most people seem to be on, where it's like, you know, everything is blocked, you get up, you go to work, you do this, you do this. And then we end up with, I don't know, midlife crisis and so on. Right. And regrets. True. And, you know, you, you gave me just like, the idea that I'm a mom of teenage boys, like I was thinking from your mom's perspective, all this, I would totally feel the same way. I'd be like, I shouldn't have allowed that to happen. I should have been more watchful. I should have. So I'm sure she's had to deal with a lot of those things as well. I mean, yeah, as a parent, you know, I felt, I always call it mom guilt when the kids were growing up. Cause I homeschooled mine. And I just remember every night going to bed with some sort of guilt. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I should have done it this way. I, you know, you think all the, you you replay the day and think what could I have done better? And so I'm just thinking your mom, she and I should talk. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'd love know, to meet her. It's 2020 and, and nobody gives you, you know, sort of uh, instructions what to do with yeah. the kid and every kid is different and oh, every yeah. parent is different and every parent carries their own baggage that they have to deal with. Yeah. And I think what makes a great parent is really having to ask those questions. Not that you're not going to make a mistake and not that you're not going right. to do a, a, a bad job or a good job, but maybe you should have done this or could have done that. But the but I think what makes a great parent is actually asking those questions yeah. and learning and every time yeah. getting better. And that's all we can do, no matter whether it's parenting or, I don't know, cutting the lawn, right. all we can do is do the best that we can. Exactly, exactly. So- so some things that came to mind when I was looking at some of your story and everything was, well, one, this happened and I can't imagine seeing your friends, but also the fact that um, you had all those surgeries. I mean, I'm like, gosh, I had like 10 in like five years. I can't imagine a hundred, but the fact that <laughs> the comment that's made is that you had it without anesthesia, <laughs> that... That, okay, that gives us perspective when we are in a nice little hospital and, and know it's coming and things like that. Like, wow. I mean, that, that kind of gives me an idea of what kind of personality you are. And the fact that you snuck behind your mom's back gives me some more idea of why you're probably successful now and you're, you're rising above it, right? And bouncing back. Um, tell me, when you got here to the U.S., uh, is that when you first started learning English? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And was it, did you go into school? How did, how did that all? So, and how many so, surgeries happened here? Did you have a bunch here too? Oh, so most, most of, of the surgeries happened outside. So, so what, so, so just after I was injured, besides the fact that, that I lost a huge amounts of blood mm -hmm. um, and, and even actually ironically enough that the the because we were all civilians so we didn't have an army or anything so people that from the army that would come in and attack us sometimes the men would capture them 
and they were considered like prisoners, but okay. they weren't really prisoners because we didn't have a prison. The only place they could put them was actually this makeshift hospital. Oh. So these these people were right there where I was. And the reason why I mentioned this is because I lost a lot of blood, for example, and I'm O negative, which you can only take O negative blood. And some of the prisoners actually gave me blood. <laughs> that tells you wow. the stupidity of the whole thing. And right. I always say I have Croatian blood in me because it's just because you have to, we can't look at countries. We can't you can yeah. look at politics. We have to look at people. Right. You know? That, that's a that's a huge thing. So after my injury and and, and having this blood issue, which was a huge thing, that yeah. um, th there were people that they gave blood several times. One person almost died. They gave me so much blood. I mean, it was just this Holy is this cow. is like a huge huge thing. And then I was told that I would um, they had to amputate my toes. That's what they told me. I see. I played at soccer all the time. I played basketball, volleyball. Like I was going to be a professional athlete. So for me, mm -hmm. athletics were everything. So when they told me they were going to amputate just my toes, and they were like, "You're going to fall asleep. You're going to wake up. It'll be over." And I remember I had um, hernia surgery when I was like, you know, maybe seven, eight years old. Mm -hmm. I remember just falling asleep, waking up, and I had all this chocolates and all this fruit and juices and cartoon comic books. And this I had to be great on school. I was like, well, this is great. So I yeah. didn't, I didn't, I, I felt no pain. So I didn't think I was like, okay, I'll fall asleep and I wake up and, you know, whatever it is. And, and I was thinking they were going to, they told me they were going to cut the, just the toes off on the outside. And I was like, okay. when you play soccer, you hit the ball with the inside. Yeah, you'd be fine. Totally. Um, I go in and you have to know, like, I'm kind of in and out of consciousness because I am not in a good place. Right. And all of a sudden I feel them cutting my leg off below the knee. And I remember thinking, oh my God, they're cutting it below the knee. Like, what am I going to do for running? And then mm -hmm. that point, the burning and pain started to kick in so hard that I was like, wait why am I awake for this like I have something rubber in my mouth I can't really like I'm tied to the wow. table and I'm like why am I awake for this I can hear the doctors talking and I'm like totally freaking out and all I'm just praying just like pass out like I just want to pass out because it's just it's just like so it's awful uh, so oof. they had amputated my leg it, it was the right decision to do they tried right. really hard to save it but after that the reason why I'm talking about this is because Actually, that was not the worst thing in my life. It, it, like I would have my leg amputated without anesthesia, like without even thinking yeah. to avoid having to deal with PTSD, yeah. with attacks, with all of the mental, emotional issues that come along with mm. what happened that a lot of people in the U.S. and the world are facing on a daily mm. basis. Right. And we're just not talking about it. <sighs> so now that I've had my leg amputated, the infection is still there in both of my legs. The other leg is just completely injured and has so many issues. One guy said who was actually laying in the bed across from me, he said, mm -hmm. I could take a grapefruit and shove it into your heel. Like that's, that is really like, it's just so, wow. so flattered. So in order to fight the infection, what they did is they would cut the disinfected flesh off uh -huh. every morning and every evening. So uh, this this would last about two oh to three hours. I can't and even. 
Yeah, and, and what I had was I had this little blue teddy bear that a friend of mine gave me oh. and I would just shock in my mouth and I would just scream into it till it was over. So even that, this change of dressing that happened two times a day for like two months, even that was worse than 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 having a yeah. ear amputated like that. And and again, as I mentioned, having a, a you know, having oh. the 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 um PTSD later was really, really awful. But once I was evacuated, I show up, I speak no English. They take mm -hmm. me to this makeshift hospital uh, that was like a U.S. Army hospital. It's almost like that, the, the sitcom MASH. It's like a tent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there. I don't speak any English. I find an interpreter and they tell me that they're going to take me into exploratory surgery. They take mm -hmm. my blue teddy bear away, which was really like my everything because right. they just want me to have it. And they say, don't worry, it's going to be, you're going to fall asleep, you're going to wake up, and it's going to be all over. And I was, I was like, they told me that before, they lied. Yeah. I don't want to do it. I totally freaked out. I literally went screaming into the operating room. <sighs> and because I didn't know the people, I didn't speak the language, and they took the only object I had was my blue teddy bear. Yeah. And but they had anesthesia. So I fell asleep. I woke up. I had these clean new bandages. And I remember oh, wow. actually getting the interpreter and I said to them, tell the doctor this anesthesia is awesome. He can uh, do whatever <laughs> surgeries he wants. So now if you look at where I came from, you know, it's yeah. all that perspective. Yeah. These surgeries were for me like dental cleaning. Yeah. Like it was just, and it, they happen every day. I had to go under every day because there was so wow. much stuff so I started actually majority of my surgeries that you would consider surgeries that under and, and I count surgeries not just somebody cutting off my leg I don't even right. count like patient as a surgery because I was awake for it yeah I started counting them then and I stopped counting at 100 because I got tired of counting and I was like wow. I can just say I over 100 surgeries and then be done with it so most of my surgeries were in U.S. and Germany that's when I, because I had them almost every day. And, and was that, what was the time frame of all those surgeries? When were you finally done? Like how long did it kind well, of. Finally. So the, so, so like I started off having daily surgeries for probably like six months or something like that. So, and, and they would, there would be a day or two, they would skip and stuff like that. Like it was just, it, you were just, it was just start, started to, you know, and then they started to be like one a week and then they started to be like one a month one or two a month something like that so so yeah. it, it turned like it, it, it slowly slowing down the way as they started to fix each issue yeah. on my list okay we have to deal with this now well, let's deal with this now let's deal with this so you have to kind of do it in time so the last surgery that, that i had was 15 years later Holy right? cow. So it took 15 years to have that. And that's when the PTSD kicked in for me. So it took 15, 15 wow. years for me to recover and have that last surgery. And I remember I had the last surgery. I had ran my first five camp marathon. Yeah. I was with Brian Frazier. I don't know if you know him, but he taught yeah. me how to run. Wow. And I had forgotten how to run. I've forgotten how to walk. I forgot everything. Yeah. I didn't even forget because I didn't walk for so long. I forgot. Wow. And so, um, and when they gave me my first prosthetic leg, they put me in the bars with the handle yeah. and they were like, they walk. And I was like, well, yeah. that's great. I could see myself running. Right. 
but I could I did not know how to I did not know how to pick wow. it up. And I had to pick it up with my arms and then just like move it and just take it like one little step at a time. And eventually I learned and then you know, 15 years later, Brian Fraser, he would put a belt uh, mm -hmm. around my waist and then he would have me run because he said, basically it's control falling. So, yeah. but we're kids, we don't think about it. Right. So I started to run and, and eventually I ran my first 5k. And when I was at home, I had my company, I had security. I finally finished all of my surgeries. That's when PTSD kicked in. And yeah. And, and I, and I can't even begin to imagine. So one of the things I love to make sure people understand is healing from something we've gone through like this, something very physical, right? On amputation. I truly believe that if we haven't healed emotionally or mentally, it's very hard to control the physical. And so like I've talked to many people that have had horrific accidents um, based on somebody else's ignorance or stupidity. Mm -hmm. And the forgiveness is not there and they're struggling and they'll be the ones that'll tell me the phantom pain gets to me. I hate wearing my socket. I can't get up. I can't get moving. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, look at what's holding you back. It's not the amputation because you see people with mm -hmm. amputations doing everything now. It's mm -hmm. what's going on inside the war that's inside. Right. Mm -hmm. So I did hear about, and that's why I, I had asked you if it would be all right to speak of this. You had the PTSD, you had night terrors. What got you over that? How did you conquer that and bounce back and get out of your mindset that way? What was it that took you there? So there are there are several several things that play for me. Um, when I had a, my first panic attack, I thought it was a heart attack. I rushed to ER and they said, hey, you're having a panic attack. And I remember laughing at the doctor. I was like, dude, if I was going to have a panic attack, you don't think I'd have it like any time before then, right. like not in Florida. Like I know Florida's bad, but come on, you like it's not right. that bad. Right. And he was like, no. And I went to cardiologists. I was sure there was something hidden. So finally it was proven to me. And, and there was one of my friend who was also a physician. She said to me, because I, I said to her, I was like, it doesn't make sense to me why I would be having panic now. Yeah. And she said, just think of it this way. If you're walking down the street and somebody's trying to steal your purse, they're going to grab your purse. First thing you're going to do is you're going to fight back for your life. Your instinct, yep. your, your, your fight or flight kicks in. They're going to start, you're going to start kicking them. You might even bite them. You might kill them. They might run away and you save yourself in your purse. It is when your family comes, it is when the ambulances come, that's when you start to shake. That's yeah. when it starts to process all that. Yeah. And she says, it took you 15 years to be in that survival mode. So now you need that much time to allow all of that stuff wow. to get out of you. So uh -huh. you have that. So I have that um, thing that they had to deal with to let everything out. And I let everything out. And what that means, I want people to know, is that I crashed. Mm -hmm. I was non-functional. I was afraid to eat. I was afraid to sleep. I was afraid of wind. I became mm -hmm. agoraphobic and claustrophobic at the same time. So wow. what I would do is I would go to my front stoop. I would curl in a bowl and cry. I had mm -hmm. no idea. I couldn't go inside. And I was too afraid to go outside. I would, I was afraid of eating. So I would literally cry and eat a little bit of a salad and then just out of fear would run and have diarrhea. I became really? afraid of eating. So I would keep myself awake, we would per, which would perpetuate all this stuff. So it became, so what I'm saying here is mm. that people 
know <clears throat> that it is okay to crash. Yeah. And I'm lucky enough to have have family around me, to have, yeah. have friends around me that allowed me to be in that space. Mm-hmm. They didn't they didn't try to understand me. They didn't try to minimize it. They didn't even try to fix it. Yeah. They allowed me to just be. Yeah. And whatever is it that I needed at the moment, they allow me to do it. Mm. That was a so your support system is mm-hmm. huge in that. The second thing that I had going for me in order to get through all this is that I was always raised to value individuals more mm-hmm. than anything else. And what and what I mean by that is that even after my injury and I was asked this question in 1993 and if I was asked this question now in 2023, my answer has always and continues to be the same. I can have a cup of coffee with the guy who threw that bomb, killed my friends and injured me. I don't have that animosity and mm-hmm. anger that's inside of me towards him. Mm-hmm. It does not mean that I justify am I okay with his mm-hmm. actions. But I do have, I do come from a place of empathy because I do not know what is happening in his life. Mm-hmm. Let's face it. The reality is maybe he lost his children. Maybe his boss told him to do it and he just pushed the button. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I don't know what his circumstances right. and It's my business. Yeah. It's none of, what is my business is me. Yeah. For me to have that empathy for individuals and not take on their garbage yeah. as mine has allowed me to be able to look at things a little bit more realistically and have empathy for myself. Yeah. And that I think where a lot of us, because we go into that hindsight mindset, yep. should I be a widow? Yeah. Oh, what if I didn't? What if I did? Oh, yeah. So what? What if I told my mom many times as she feels as she deals with her survivals right. as her guilt? I always tell her mom what if i didn't um go down there and get injured what if i stayed up there and three days later some men raided our house and raped me yeah and now i was living with that honestly cut my leg off any time right right so there's always worse from worse you Mm -hmm. know so so i i am okay with my faith i am Mm -hmm. okay with dealt to me because it was dealt to me. And if it wasn't dealt to me, I wouldn't be able to handle it. And I know I could handle it. And yeah. here's the thing. Anyone can handle anything. Yeah. I can sit here and say, oh, Maya did this. Maya, this is the reality is if you were in my shoes, Angie, yeah. you would be doing anything. Yeah. Let's face it. You just, yeah. you just, didn't, your life didn't present you with those circumstances. You had other right. challenges that you had to do. Yeah. And deal with that are different than mine. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that. I mean, that couldn't be more and more true. And last week I was just talking about being grateful for the people that surround us because they allowed us that space. They were there for the, as a shoulder to cry on. They were there to make laughter when we couldn't laugh. They were there to just cheer us on when things were going great. And they were there just to understand and try to be there for us when we didn't know what was happening. And so, I mean, I value my support system and I know not everyone is so lucky to have a lot of people around. And I I do know that reality, but having tried to talk to other people, knowing I feel like I'm in a very blessed situation, there are people that live alone that are going through this. They're, They're sad, they're lonely. But one thing that struck me with you is 
rosy because I have talked to a few people that live alone, but they do have their pets. So I said, sometimes your support person isn't a person, it's a companion animal. So how did you and Rosie meet and how, how long after all this, when the PTSD started, was this, did this trigger looking for Rosie? Um, not quite actually. I was, I was about, you know, I was like, like a two thirds way into the the horrible PTSD. Mm. At this point I had already like reached the peak of the worst times yeah. and started figure out uh, because I have never taken any medications and that's not to say that people shouldn't take medications right. that just happens to be my path um so yeah. I I wanted to feel everything raw and that was my that was my choice like I wanted to understand myself in a human psyche and human being yeah. emotions and that's why I chose to do it I'm not trying okay. I just want to make sure people don't feel like right. something wrong with medications no right um but so, so I had already figured out, you know, I take like these herbs, like Chinese herbs and stuff like that to help me calm down and all this stuff. And I have specific things that I do and I had to get my leg worked on. And I went to hanger clinic mm-hmm. and uh, my clinician at that time, Chris, he's still my clinician. Um, I went to, to, to work with him and, and I had just started to not be afraid to drive, but I was still afraid of, for example, bridges. So I did like, it was my goal to get myself there and they, 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 they actually in Sarasota and I you get myself in Sarasota. Did you have to go over the big bridge? Yeah. Over the Skyway bridge. Yeah. <laughs> I had to go over the Skyway like, bridge. That's I like one of the biggest like bridges that. I know. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the signal cuts off and it was really scary, but I was like, little by little, that's how I did it. Little by little, oh, you know, like, like today I have to get up and brush my teeth. And that's my goal yeah. today. And yeah. everyone, you know, and to, tomorrow I'm going to go across the bridge. And that's what it was. I went across the bridge and I went to go work on my leg. And Chris says to me, um, Hey, Maya, have you ever thought about getting a dog? Oh. And I was like, Chris, I cannot take care of myself. <laughs> let alone a puppy right and he's like no no no. you should really look at this dog it's a great dane and as soon as he said a great dane it's been since i was like i don't know five six years i always wanted to have a great dane but i knew really? when i grew up i would have a great dane and as soon as he said a great dane and they're not dogs you see frequently either no. so uh-uh. like really yeah especially like a purebred really good quality mm-hmm. great dane and he shows me this cute little Great Dane, but I look at it and she's got little tiny prosthetic. And I'm like, oh my God, a Great Dane with a prosthetic leg. I was like, Chris, this is my dog. I need to have this dog. Oh. Like, I don't, I don't like, this is like, as soon as I saw her, I was like, this is my dog. Oh my so God. How do I get her? He's like, he's like, well, I don't know. Just go to the website and see if you could. So I go to the rescue website and I don't see her listed there. And I say to them, and, and I, so I write him a letter. She's, oh. she looks like she's been adopted. So I write him a letter and I say, this is why I think I should have Rosie. I don't know what's happening with Rosie, but it's why I should have her. Two days later, I get a call from the president of the rescue. And she says to me, Maya, I just want to let you know that Rosie was adopted about two weeks ago. We have a family for her. And she said, but I have not made it public announcement yet because I felt like Rosie was waiting for something bigger and better. And I think we were waiting for you. Oh my gosh. So she said, you're getting Rosie, but you need to give me a week so I could talk to the board of directors and clean up the mess that I'm about to make. So a week later I waited, I got this little tiny puppy and I was just happy to have a great Dane and a puppy. 
Like it was just, they just made, like I instantly felt this connection mm. and I didn't have her. You have to think like she was a few month old puppy and I didn't even have her for a few weeks when I had a panic attack <sighs> and it was a pretty bad one. And I was walking around the house. Like that's what I do when I have it. Now I had a yeah. system, right? around the house I was yeah, crying right. I started to take my herbs I know what's gonna do like and I'm just kind of getting through it but she kept following me she kept leaning into me and and I and she finally cornered me against a wall as a and puppy I, as a puppy and I took her face and I was and through tears I was crying I remember saying to her I was like I know you're trying to help but just please leave me alone I gotta do this and she's just standing there firm, like she's not even looking away and going away. And I was like, I think she's trying to tell me something. And I instantly noticed that she went from, from moving to not moving. Like she's standing there staring at me. I was like, I think she wants me to follow her. But this is a tiny puppy. They don't calm down. And she, she literally stops and she turns around and I start following her. She takes me to the living room through like the dining room hallway and to the living room she goes on the floor lays on a side with her paws like this and I'm like I think I'm just gonna do what she seems to be telling me so I lay next to her I put my head on her chest and I give her like a hug and it was even maybe 30 seconds I start to calm down oh my gosh I start to I was like oh my god this is like medication like this is beautiful yeah and I started to breathe with her and we calmed down. And that's when I recognized that she actually had this amazing talent and I trained her as my service dog. So it all just became purely somewhat accidental. Well, I, and I would say, I don't even know if accidental because I truly believe that certain people give off certain auras or certain vibes mm -hmm. and they're mm -hmm. that feeling, that calm. Mm -hmm. She saw that in you, she could read you, but more importantly, you were watching, you mm -hmm. were open to that. Some people don't like that. Your first instinct was like, leave me alone because you were yeah. trying to deal, mm -hmm. but you gave her the space to express something to you. And you just mm -hmm. had to pay attention. Our animals are so intuitive. They know a lot more than, than we give them credit for. And I use, I use a horse that way. Oh, so wow. I've, I've gotten into equine therapy and, and going through horse training right now. And and you know, the other day I had a really bad day and I just couldn't figure out why I wasn't emotionally handling it well. And I'm usually pretty chill. And I had to go the next morning to go with her. And she finally in, I mean, we had been having gusty, gusty winds. I mean, it's been really mm -hmm. windy here. And normally you wouldn't want to be around horses because they get spooked and they can run. I sat on the middle of her big open area. She kind of watched me. She did some circles around me kicked the ground and laid right next to me. And I, oh. she had her arms this way for the first time ever. I've leaned against her belly where her feet are, which, you know, they're, they're oh. big. Like they, she could yeah. hurt me with that. And I just laid up against her body. Like I was in a big reclining chair and just rubbed her front leg and back leg and just felt her warmth. Cause it was freezing. And oh. it was, she saw in me that I was willing to relax and I needed something, you know, they reflect us and everything. And uh -huh. I, you know, so I, I truly believe like when you say accidental, Ru Rosie knew what you needed, but you were, yeah. you were open to that, which is so cool. Like you unleashed her potential. 
mm-hmm. by being able to see what she was trying to express to you. And I think that's a beautiful story. Now she has some special gifts too. I didn't even realize this till I started really delving into some of your um, videos. What is one of her gifts that she, she people have bought from, from her? She, she has so many talents, but I will tell you, so for, for PTSD, for me, one of the things that I did was, and still continue to do is art therapy. So I started with like paint by numbers and then I started, that got a little boring. So just to calm down. Yeah. So I painted this huge painting for, for my dining room that was on the floor and I used to paint it and she would just get into my paints. Like she, she's very intuitive. She's very connected to me. Mm -hmm. She's very intelligent. (laughs) <laughs> and and I allow her to do whatever she wants. I genuinely do. Like I I just want her to be the best that she could be and do whatever she wants. Like that's so she was getting into my paints and finally I was like, okay, if you she was making a mess and I was like, you know what? You want to paint I will make you paintbrush. So that's exactly what I did. I took a regular <laughs> paintbrush. And I don't know if people know that little wooden um, tea uh-huh. that they have when they make crepes. I yeah. took that and put it on a brush and I oh, taped it with a little bubble wrap. And I gave her a brush and she started painting. And I was like, I was thinking that I would have to train her. So I set up all these cameras to see how I train my dog to paint. Yeah. It, it took like three minutes. I didn't even have time to turn on camera. I just gave her the brush and dipped it in and she started paint. And she she's been she's painted almost 200 original <laughs> paintings and sold. They all come like with this little certificate and her paw oh. print and a video of her painting. And and it's really, really, it's been really adorable. And it gives her something to do, um, you know, because she loves it. And I have now cut down on my painting because every time I pull out paints, she thinks she's painting. So unless I want to paint with her, I don't paint. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love it. Uh, And I will make sure I get where people can check that out. And so I can put it in the notes on this because I'm dying to see these. This is great. I mean, I was watching people saying, I bought one of Rosie's paintings. I'm like, what? So I'm like, I got to find this video. And that's so sweet. Yeah, We just did a a keynote, um, keynote uh, speech because that's what I do. I'm a keynote Mm -hmm. speaker. We did uh, for, for Caterpillar, the the huge organization. Yeah. And what they wanted was they did an employee auction, silent auction, and it was one of Rosie's paintings. And they painted it in the caterpillar colors. And it was really, really so much fun. So yeah, she she just I saw her painting on a little canvas. Does she paint big canvases? Yeah, she's we painted like for there was an Aveda shop where she painted like this whole setup of like three, four different things in their colors. Yeah. Because I just put a canvas in and I don't tell her like, I'm sure you've seen like elephants and dogs paint, but they paint like a house or trees or something like they they can't they can't. They're basically trained to do these brush strokes. Right. When Rosie paints, she just does whatever she wants on a canvas. I never taught her and tell her to do this this or this she whatever comes out on canvas for her is what comes out on canvas for her and that and so I let her do it so I put a canvas in front of her no matter what size and she just paints it and that's just how it is well and, and I-, I tell you accidentally like through this the first painting she ever painted I'll send you a picture it is a little puppy chasing a bull like it's just like an abstract shape of a yeah. puppy chasing she's painted dolphins she's painted gray danes their profiles she's painted a flamingo she's painted a a racer a wheelchair racer that's the one i saw yeah like it's just incredible how stuff comes out okay i'm just i'm just totally curious about this so you 
and, and if anybody that's, that's listening to this, you have to look at the videos because it's not like if I were to, <laughs> I were to give my dog a paintbrush one, they'd probably drop them. They're chihuahuas. Um, but they would just probably run around the house and my walls would be painted. Rosie actually has brush strokes. Like she brushes one way a couple times and then she backs up and she starts at a different point. Not like mm-hmm. a little child just doing this in the center and you get all these crayon colors all over each other. Does, mm-hmm. Do you ever, is it like clouds? Like I see an elephant in the cloud. Is yes. That- it's like, it's exactly like that. Okay. Because exactly like I mean, I could see the, the beginning of a wheelchair and, and yes, subliminally you see what you named it. But you're like, oh yeah, I see that. But when you said that she's painted this, 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 yeah. and I watched because the brush I haven't, I, I didn't even start to pay attention to these. I would just give her the cameras. She does whatever she does. And I sent these yeah. to people that have ordered them. So what I was seeing is comments on Facebook come back and say, oh my gosh, she painted a Great Dane. And she's done Great Dane so many times that there are Great Dane breeders who have contacted me and said, next Great Dane painting she paints, I want it. I was like, I don't, I don't tell her. I I don't know how to make that happen. Let's go, Rosie. Let's go. They're like, I want one with the great things. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Like, I didn't tell her. I have no idea. Like, if it comes out, it comes out. I mean, that just, we had one incident. I, and I think the reason for that is, is that actually she's intuitive and connected to energetic source and actually knows in some ways that we are probably none of us are privy to that that has this information floating because the wheelchair thing was actually painted for a person who was disabled um the great dane was given to the person that was a dog lover like there was there was like it was there was a connect there that's why i never change or touch anything because i don't know what's energetically connected Mm. and inside that and what the person that ordered that so we had one incident where um, I had given a speech and the CEO of the company said to, to me, learn about Rosie. And he said, uh-huh. I want one of her paintings. So he, he's like, I'm going to go online and order it. I said, you don't have to order it. I'll get you one. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So I go and go home and we paint the painting and I send it to him. And I was like, what colors do you want? Because that's the options of you when you order it. You can, right. you can pick a color or you can have Rosie pick colors. He's like, have Rosie pick colors. Okay. And what happens is that she just picks whatever. I don't really care. Like, I don't. I, who cares really? Right. So I just got the colors and she painted them. I, I took to, went to his office to drop off the painting and he just literally gets this look on his face and just goes white. And I was like, are you okay? Like I thought for like, a second, are I you disappointed? Was, <laughs> well, I thought there was something inappropriate, which she has also painted on oh. the <laughs> on the canvas. And I was like, is everything? And I maybe didn't see it. I don't know. And I was like, everything okay. He said, he said, he said, could you close the door? To his office, I closed the door to his office. So him and his CMO, chief marketing officers, were privy to only one document that they have created because the entire company is going through restructuring and rebranding. And the colors that Rosie picked are the brand new colors that they have picked for the new company. Like the same, the two same turquoise and orange color that they picked. That is exact, like almost to the shade. He shows me this document. He said, this is confidential. There's one person in my company that has this document. 
And he says, look at these colors. And he showed it to me. I was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I was like, she has a gift. That's what you see what I'm saying. So that's why I'm like, you know, whatever she paints, she paints. I mean, it's just what comes out, comes out. That is is so cool. I mean, just even being around that, that's got to be so therapeutic for you too. Because you see, you see the magnificence in that and the simpleness in it. And yet the profound effect it has on everyone else. And sometimes when we step outside of our own circumstances, right. And we start to bless other people, we fill our own bucket up and then we can conquer anything. That's you've got it. That's, that is why I do what I do. That is why I speak. I mean, I, I'm, I have an IT background. I have a couple IT clients and let me tell you, I could make a gazillion more money doing that, Mm -hmm. but I speak because I see that profound difference. And from what we touched upon earlier, which is a lot of people don't have that support system. So we have to be here to find ways to add to those little droplets to allow people to to just live their best life in any way they can. And when I do that, it fills me up. It's really, it seems altruistic, but it's actually really selfish. Uh, Yeah. And, and, And actually my like subtitle to my podcast is living your best life empowering women or empowering amputees to live their best life. So, I mean, right there, I don't know. I think, I think we're going to go with this whole aura that's happening right now with you guys and us and, and say, that is a beautiful way to wrap this podcast up because I think, and thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm filled. I'm excited. I can't wait for this to reach people and um, I, I hope that we can stay connected because I just, I love, I love the messages and I love the fact that, you know, that Rosie is just a big part of your life. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful that whatever path led us together, led us together. Absolutely. And Maya, it's been a complete honor to have you on the show. Thank you for having me anytime. I will come back. I love it. Well, thank you. And we will, um, we will definitely have you back on again. We'll we'll see where you all are at in, in maybe another year and maybe next April we'll do this again. Um, but until then, you and Rosie stay happy and healthy. And um, I just, I hope you feel completely blessed and you've blessed my life and I appreciate that. Thank you. Wow, what a story of triumph over tragedy and courage in the face of uncertainty and overcoming fears of epic proportions for Maya and the fact that once again we see how um, an animal can breathe new life into us like we can give them life and I'll tell you what get on find Maya and Rosie on social media and follow them because there is some serious inspiration um, with the words that she speaks and I hope that you feel empowered to do something proactive for your life. It doesn't matter your circumstance, but I hope that this motivated you, um, touched your heartstrings, and made you realize that there is a light out there, a light at the end of the tunnel, and that life can be great even when you've gone through really horrific ordeals. Thank you for listening in and I hope and pray you have a wonderful rest of your week and as always, be healthy, be happy, be you.